You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. Our passage this morning is in Matthew 5. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, so about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. Uh, in mine, which is one of the, there's a few Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one on the floor um, beneath you. My, uh, our passage in mine is on page 810. So uh, if you have the same brown Bible, that should roughly be where you should find it in others as well. Um, and our, our text is verse 17 through 20. So a mere three verses for those of you who've been with us through uh, the book of Genesis. This is a mercifully short passage to work through. Uh, Having preached through three chapters of Genesis, this feels like a breeze. Um, I'm actually going to start in uh, verse 13 and read through verse 20, just to kind of refresh our minds where we've been. Um, So if you would... Give your attention to the reading of God's word. This is God speaking. People of God, hear the word of the Lord. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor can people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And now to our verses. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words of your Son. And we know that we are often slow to listen. And we can be very spiritually dull. So I pray that now you would awaken us with your word. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would teach us about Jesus. About his righteousness and his mercy. About the things the word has to say about him. I pray that in every way you would overcome our inadequacies, any inadequacies in me, any inadequacies in ourselves as hearers, as your people, and you would give us deeper levels of faith, hope, love, and joy because of your word that we hear this morning. So help us, we ask. 
In Jesus' name, amen. I'm not sure if you have likely had the experience of something anticipated, an event, you know, going to see a show or a movie or going to a new restaurant and it's been talked, hyped up by family or friends. Like, you have to go to this place. The food is amazing. Or this, this, uh, this performance, incredible. And so you go watch the movie, watch the show, eat the food, and you're kind of like, wow, what a letdown. And you come away completely not sure what to make of what you just saw because you would hope for something much better. Or of your friend, like, what on earth? I can't believe they liked that. You know, unmet expectations uh, can be rough. Perhaps you even had the experience of having a friend or family member talk you up, maybe for a job interview or an opportunity, and you turned out to be a bust to whoever was, you know, thinking they found something great. I, hopefully you haven't had that experience. I, I have. A, a similar sort of situation uh, aside from unmet expectations, is when someone misperceives your actions for maybe something completely opposite of what they were. When Melody and I were dating, this happened like frequently. Our families were different enough that when I did something that I thought like our family was seen as kind of like a virtue, this is like a good thing to do, it, it completely threw Melody off. And so we regularly were working through uh, expectations and misperceptions of our interactions. And here in our passage this morning, Jesus starts off with a rather stark statement, which is, do not think. Jesus is wanting his disciples to think a particular way, and he's going to correct something. He's going to head off any potential uh, expectations, wrong expectations, or misperceptions about what he is doing, and particularly his relationship with the Bible. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish or set aside, but to fulfill. Jesus really wants everyone to get straight what his relationship is with everything that has come before and before I give you the three points that we're going to look at this morning, let's just, law and prophets, let's just get our terms straight. The law are the first five books of Moses, which would have been for all of his listeners, all of his Jewish listeners, first five books of Moses, the most important books of the Bible. Essentially, they're the, the covenant that God's people were under. It's like the constitution of all of the people of Israel. And the prophets were pretty much everything else. Everything else. And the prophets were always looking back to the law and always trying to build on that. And so Jesus is saying, your whole, your whole Hebrew scriptures are Jewish scriptures. I'm not here to abolish. I'm here to fulfill. So what I would like to do this morning is I would like to look at how Jesus fulfills the law is the first thing. 
And that seems to be kind of the focus, actually, of these few verses that we have. But in order to understand this statement, not abolish, but fulfill the law and the prophets, we'll also then look at what does it mean that Jesus fulfills uh, the prophets. And then finally, just to make sure that we haven't kind of been off track, I would like to look at one test case in the book of Matthew to see that what we come up with actually is what Jesus is talking about, okay? So how does Jesus fulfill the law? How does Jesus fulfill the prophets? And then a test case is what we will do this morning. And I should just make one disclaimer. When we talk about Jesus fulfilling anything, like that is a massively huge subject, and we're not going to touch on tons of stuff. Um, If you really want to dig into this more, you could read the whole book of Romans or the whole book of Hebrews or the whole book of Galatians because really how Jesus relates to the whole Jewish scriptures is something that almost every major book of the Bible in the New Testament tries to figure out. So we're going to try to just stick with these few verses in Matthew. So um, let's look at how Jesus fulfills the law. So Jesus says, don't think that I came. He came with a purpose, and he doesn't want them to think something is off right away. You might be like, well, why? Uh, Jesus has said that the kingdom has drawn near. We've, he said that in the beginning of this whole gospel. The kingdom has drawn near, and so people are wondering what this is going to look like. Jesus is saying something new is happening. And so what is the nature of the newness? And in fact, Jesus is right to address any misperceptions or wrong expectations because he is actually going to be accused of abolishing the law and the prophets. And not just him. Paul will get the same accusation. Stephen, in the book of Acts, also gets accused of these same things. So clearly, whatever Jesus was teaching was readily and easily misunderstood by a lot of people. And Jesus is going to focus particularly here on the law. Notice that he says in verse verse 18, that truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law. So he focuses in on the law. And he says that with regards to the law, not an iota and not a dot. Now, iota is the probably simplest letter you can write in the Greek alphabet. It's just a, like a, a, a quick line. Not an iota. And then if that's not like small enough, not a dot. Like if you were like sort of stylistic in your writing and you occasionally like to put little like your do cursive and you put little loops and things on the ends of your letters, it's the little like unnecessary flick of the, at the end with the pen. That's what the dot is, okay? So not the smallest bit of written scripture is going to, be, to pass away until it is accomplished. Now, let's talk about this whole fulfill 
an abolished language, right? Abolish is to, it can mean destroy um, or just sort of like make void. You know, if you've ever had a check that, right, you wanted to send off so that no one could use it, you put, you spell void right on it. So it's a useless thing. You can't use the check for anything. And Jesus is saying, I am not voiding a single thing. This is all still operative and useful for my followers. Nothing is abolished. The word fulfill can mean things like bring to fruition, bring to completion. And in fact, in our verse 18, Jesus says, nothing is abolished. Things are going to be accomplished, right? Things are going to be brought to completion. It could also mean that Jesus, to, to fulfill something means I'm going to do it. I'm going to actually do the law. It could also mean that Jesus is going to bring it to its highest point, to its culmination. He's going to show you what it is all about. And I think that that is particularly what Jesus has in mind here. Because nothing is nullified, it's going to be fulfilled. And what Jesus is going to do is he is going to press the spirit behind the letter of the law. He's going to press the spirit behind the letter of the law. He's going to uphold every facet of the moral call of the law. And in fact, what's interesting is that is exactly what the prophets do in the Old Testament, is they are constantly coming to God's people and saying, here's what God says, and you need to do it. So Jesus, in one sense, by upholding the law, is himself fulfilling what it is to be a prophet. And he notes that God's word is perfect. There's nothing that needs to be changed. And so he says that you should do it, and you should teach it if you want to be considered the greatest in the kingdom. And if you want to be the least in the kingdom, take the least unimportant law in the, in the Old Testament and say, mm, not important, and don't observe it. And guarantee yourself last place in the kingdom by the least ratcheting down of what the Old or Hebrew Scriptures is all about. And this is actually challenging in our own day, right? You could probably easily think of any number of portions of the Bible where you are tempted, perhaps in conversation with a family or a member or a friend, and be like, you know, eh, that portion of the Bible, not so relevant, not so important, you know. Or, eh, yeah, I can see how that's uncomfortable. We'll just set it aside, right? And Jesus is like, no. Nothing here is unimportant. These are all the words of God. In fact, the things in these, in these books is absolutely essential for participating in the kingdom and knowing what it is to please God. Now, you might at this moment have an objection. You might say, um you know what? I don't buy it. I mean, look at how different Christianity is from what the Jews and God's people were practicing in Jesus' day and before. We don't do sacrifices. 
We don't have priests. We don't do food laws. We don't have all these ceremonies. I think Jesus actually changed a lot of things. How is this not abolishing the law, the things that happen? And in fact, Jesus gets challenged on this point a a number of times. And there's actually two things going on there. One is that some of what was considered to be God's word and God's law was actually human traditions that people had mistaken for God's word. So that's just, and Jesus is all about chucking that kind of stuff. But there's also a distinction that we can make between how something is practiced and the significance behind it. Practice might change, but the significance is always still there. So Jesus is not changing any of the significance of God's word, though he is going to change because he fulfills some things. Some of the practices are going to change. And one of the things that Jesus does right here is he presses the true significance of the law by showing it the spirit of the law. Because actually in his day, some people feeling the need to keep all of God's laws in order to be in God's kingdom, actually, what's interesting, relaxed the rules, right? Well, you know, divorce is okay. If your wife burns the toast, right? And and actually, there are people were relaxing it to that degree. Like you could... uh, you could divorce your wife in particular. Women couldn't, it didn't go the other way uh, that easily. But yeah, your wife burns the meal, could be a marriage ender, right? Jesus, not, not, that's not going to fly with Jesus. That's not the spirit of the law. Here's the thing that's shocking. Verse 20, Jesus says in verse 20, so he talks about being least in the kingdom or the greatest in the kingdom. Verse 20 I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So he's gone from talking about whether you can be greatest and least in the kingdom, and now suddenly he's talking about whether or not you can even get in. Who are the scribes and Pharisees? Because obviously that matters somewhat significantly. If they're like lowlifes, you might feel pretty good. All right, I can, I can live above those kind of people. The Pharisees and the scribes were probably the quintessential religious people of their day. The Pharisees were not religious leaders. They were like a group of people, you know, you'd call them something like, you know, you know, the term like evangelical would be kind of considered people that really care about the Bible and really try to live it out. Something like that. That's what a Pharisee was. They were absolutely interested in studying the Bible, knowing what it said, and how to live it out to the T. The scribes were the Bible scholars, the Bible lawyers, who were trying to understand what did it say, what does it mean? And pretty much the two groups working together came up with a pretty rigorous way of kind of religious living in everything. And the Pharisees were the people that you had one of your main goals was to remain ceremonially clean, pure, holy, right? Otherwise, you can't go near God. And they were trying to do that in every part of their lives. And so here, Jesus is saying, 
Your righteousness must surpass these guys. Now, just imagine a scenario. This is like, Jesus saying this is like, think of like a, a small town high school basketball team. Or, you know, if you're more musically inclined, think about a, a student, a, a piano student who uh, comes from, you know, small town piano lessons, has a shot at uh, an entrance exam, an entrance uh, audition to Juilliard School of Music or the, our high school team, right? They're going to get into, they have a shot at getting into a national, like, tournament, right? They come into the locker room, game's about to begin, and the coach says, guys, we're playing a really good team. And he's like, basketball players hustle. Basketball players pass, they play as a team, they score, right? Don't give up till the last second. And, you know, cue inspirational music, right? And all the guys are like, yes, coach, yes! That is what great basketball is all about. And he turns to each of these high school kids and says, and each of you, if we are going to win this game, you are going to have to play better than LeBron James. <laughs> and then they suddenly are like, I, and, or we will not win at all. That's it. And you're just like, was that, a, was that a joke? Because when I think of like great basketball, like that's the highest I can go. And Jesus is saying to all these people that your righteousness has to exceed the best religious person you can imagine or you don't get in. He's not talking about whether or not you get to be at the bottom of the kingdom now, right? He just spoke about that a second ago. Now he's talking about whether you can get in. Your righteousness has to go past those people. And so you think like, I don't even know what that looks like. I don't know what basketball beyond LeBron James looks like. I can't even, I can't even fathom it. So what does it look like for your righteousness to surpass the scribes and the Pharisees? I mean, Jesus' disciples have to be kind of like, all right, well, we're going to need some examples here because we just lost all of them. So Jesus gives two summary statements, very simple, in the Sermon on the Mount, right? He says, so whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them, for that is the law and the prophets. Matthew 7, 12. There you have it. Just everything that you would want to be done to you, just do that to everyone else. Boom. That's how you fulfill the law and the prophets. Which you would think would be easy. Unfortunately, we all tend to have a double standard. We'd prefer to be treated very well, get, cut ourselves a lot of slack when we don't treat others quite as well. Or how about this? At the very end of this section, this section where Jesus is talking about the law, he draws this conclusion. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Yikes. And then, if that's not rough enough, right after that, right, the very next sentence, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order that they may, you may be seen by them, for then... Uh, you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven, right? Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect and don't do it so that people can see how good you are. You're kind of like 
is Jesus like, this is like worse than like the first year of medical school or law school. Is like Jesus trying to like have no disciples? How is, it, how is this even possible? Perfect as your heavenly father is perfect or you will not enter the kingdom? How is this going to work? And what Jesus is doing is that he's revealing, he's, when he is fulfilling the law, he is showing you absolutely everything about the significance of the law. And what Jesus does is that he takes away any claim that we might have to being morally, religiously good. He totally strips away any possibility that you could be like, feel pretty secure about your standing with regards to getting into the kingdom. C.S. Lewis once said that um, pride is like one of the worst things in the world for anyone. It's like he would say it's the worst sin. So the moment, like, and humility is like, like one of the quintessential Christian virtues, the moment that you are satisfied with the fact that you're such a humble Christian, you have become the worst Christian. It's that easy. As soon as you feel great about how well you're doing, you just tanked. Martin Luther said that the law of God the most salutary doctrine of life cannot advance man on his way to righteousness, but rather hinders him. The law brings the wrath of God, kills, reviles, accuses, judges, and condemns everything. It is certain that man must utterly despair of his own ability. And oddly enough, for Luther... Despair is good. If you have not despaired, if you can get through the Sermon on the Mount and not despair of how good you feel about yourself, pretty amazing. Which brings us actually now to Jesus fulfilling the prophets, okay? Who is it that gets to kind of ratchet up the Bible like this? Like, who gets to tell people how to read the Bible in this way? Who does this guy think he is? And one of the things that Matthew shows us with Jesus' life is that Jesus, in his very existence, is fulfilling the prophets. So let me just give you a few examples before the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. Talking about Jesus' birth and Jesus' name. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is the prophetic hope. His name and his presence is God with us. But not just is Matthew helping us, Jesus is aware that he is this fulfillment. When he shows up for his baptism with John, listen to this in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 and 15. Jesus comes from Galilee to the Jordan where John is baptizing all these people because people think John is a prophet. And Jesus comes to be baptized by John and he says, uh, John actually says, would you 
would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And you're coming to me for baptism? And Jesus answers and he says, let it be so now for this is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And John then consents. He realizes that Jesus is doing something significant. And just so you know, Matthew at least 14 times has these phrases, Jesus fulfilled this. Let me just give you two more, and these are near Jesus' death. So this is from Matthew chapter 26. At his arrest in the garden, Jesus said to him, that is to Peter, put your sword back in its place, because Peter had just pulled out a sword and hacked off a guy's ear. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I came to appeal... Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and will at once, he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled? That it must be so. At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. That was number two. The scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. What's interesting is that the prophets were really good at getting themselves killed by God's people for telling God's people God's law. And Jesus is following suit. So Jesus not only fulfills the law by showing its deeper significance, but he fulfills the prophets by fulfilling the expectations and the, the prophets all looking for someone to do what Jesus is about to do, namely die for his people. And here's one other place where Jesus actually not only says that he's fulfilling, but everything that comes out of his mouth is equal to everything that has been said before. His words are equal with God's. Listen to this from Matthew 24. And this is Jesus actually saying almost the exact same thing he has just said in our passage. Listen to this. He's talking about how the world will end and how Israel will be judged. And he says, From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves... You know that the summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will not pass away. In our passage, he says that the law and the prophets, their words, the law is not going to pass away. Now Jesus says that my words are also not going to pass away. All of this goes together. You need to read the law, the prophets, and my words to know what's going on. He has just taken himself way up. And at the end of Matthew's gospel, when he commissions his disciples to go into the world, he doesn't say, go and teach them to observe all of the law and the prophets. He says, go into all the world and teach them to observe everything that I 
have commanded you. He's not abolishing, he's fulfilling, and he's bringing it to completion. What does that mean, like, practically? What does it mean that Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets? Well, one thing it means is that whenever you read any part of the Bible, you want to look for Jesus every single time. You might not figure it out, but Jesus is everywhere. And the other thing is, is that we in no way can decide which parts of the Bible we like and don't like. We have to take it all. Because, not only whether it's like, I don't like this rule or that rule, it all points to Christ. It all tells us of Jesus. So if we want to know Jesus, we need to know God's words. This is an incredible quote um, from a, a pastor about a hundred years ago, uh, now dead. He says that Jesus is the revealer and revelation at the same time. All the revelation and words of God, both in the Old and the New Testament, have their ground, unity, and center in Jesus. He is the Son, not S-O-N, S-U-N. He is the Son. The individual words of God are His rays. Christ is the Son, and all the words of Scripture are the rays that stream from Christ. The Word of God in nature, in Israel, in the New Testament, in Scripture, may never, ever, may never even for a moment be separated from Him. If you ever wondered and wanted to know more about what Jesus is like, you need to read more of the Bible. Because Jesus is everywhere. Now, to conclude, Jesus doesn't actually explain super clearly in the Sermon on the Mount, like, how do we go from, okay, Jesus, this is great that you fulfill the law. We see how rough it is for us to do it. It's also really great that you fulfill the prof- what the prophets were expecting, and we didn't get into what does this all mean. But somehow Jesus is going to help us. He doesn't tell his disciples exactly how you're going to be able to do this. How are you going to be able to follow my teachings? You have to finish reading all of Matthew's gospel. But in fact, we get a hint as to how this is going to work. How we're not going to get crushed and kept out of the kingdom by Jesus' words. Jesus is going to show us how he's fulfill- his fulfilling the prophets is actually going to help us with this. So if you would turn uh, in your Bibles just a few pages to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So at the very end of Matthew chapter 7. We would hate to leave this on a totally depressing note, feeling crushed by the law. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 28, and we're going to read through chapter 8, verse 4. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, 
And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for proof to them. Matthew has given us a really interesting Jesus' first actions after this sermon. Okay? First thing that Jesus does, a leper comes to him. Everyone's amazed, stunned at what Jesus has said, and up comes this leper to Jesus. And of course, leprosy here is just any number of skin diseases. It's not just leprosy the way we think of leprosy today as a particular skin disease that kind of starts killing all your nerves. Uh, it could be any number of things. But one of the things is that um, if you read the Mosaic Law, particularly Leviticus 13 and 14, if you have one of these skin diseases, you pretty much have to quarantine. Like, if any of you have had any particular diseases in the last year or two that required you to be alone for a while, and you went crazy after three days, these folks who had leprosy had to, like, leave everybody and live outside of their community, right? New residents don't go near anybody ever again, except other people with the same kind of skin uh, diseases. So this guy, so it says in Leviticus 13, 45 and 46, anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside of the camp. Now, you can probably not imagine a more terrible existence. Everything about you has to tell people, I'm not well, and you don't want to come near me. Okay? This man has no hope of freedom from this disease. Nothing. And when he approaches the law of Moses... The, the law can only diagnose him and tell him what he can do for mitigating circumstances, essentially, right? Stay away from everybody. Dress like this. So he has to kind of live in a state of more or less despair, right? He has to despair of himself doing anything that will free him of this. And that's the role of the law. The law tells him that he's unclean, that he can't go near people. Now, I didn't read to you the full Luther quote. It says, Luther writes, that it is certain that man must utterly despair of his own ability before he is prepared to receive the grace of Christ. Jesus actually, what's striking is, Jesus shows you where you actually stand with regards to the moral law. And it's actually a mercy. 
Because if he allowed you to go on thinking you're such a great and awesome person who will get welcomed into the kingdom, you would have a terrible shock come judgment day when everything about you is exposed. It's actually a mercy that Jesus gives the full significance of the law here and now so that you can fully evaluate yourself. Luther again says, Nor does speaking in this manner give us cause for despair, but for arousing the desire to humble oneself and to seek the grace of Christ. And so what does the leper say? He's got one option. Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And what is remarkable about Jesus is he doesn't say... Mr. Leper, I have just given a great sermon, and it tells exactly what the law is all about. And you know what the law says. You've got to stay away from everybody. So observe the law of Moses. No. Jesus touches him. This is first human contact in who knows how long, right? Jesus touches the man. And Jesus says, I am willing, be clean. And immediately he is cleansed. Immediately he is cleansed. And Jesus then says to him to go to the priests and do all the offerings that are said in the book of Moses. Jesus upholds the law for this guy. The guy couldn't do it, right? The guy had only one option with regards to the law, but now Jesus actually enables him to fulfill the law. What's really interesting, though, is we read this, this incident as Jesus healing the guy, but notice that the words are not healing. He doesn't talk about healing. Three times, he talks about cleansing him. It's all about cleansing because what this guy has is not simply an illness, but he has a particular disease that makes him ritually, ceremonially impure. So he's not only staying away from other humans, he doesn't go anywhere near the temple. He doesn't go anywhere near God. And so when Jesus cleanses this man, when Jesus has compassion on this man, he now brings this man back to God. This guy can now go worship in the temple. So this morning, are you unclean? Are you despairing that when you read Jesus' words, you have not a chance of entering the kingdom? You realize that you're not even anywhere near being the least in the kingdom. You are in absolute despair of coming into the kingdom because of your uncleanness, your unworthiness. Despair is good. It's only good, though, because there is a solution. If Jesus shows up and he does not fulfill the prophets, but only the law in the sense of telling us the significance of the law, we would all live the rest of our lives depressed because we would not enter the kingdom 
But here's Christ, and he comes, and he has compassion. And not only does he fulfill the law, he fulfills the prophets as well. And so this morning, if you hear Christ's voice, if you hear him calling and say, here's what it takes to be clean by doing this, and you're like, that's not going to happen. Our basketball team is not LeBron James. And then Jesus says, I've also fulfilled all of this. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So if today you hear his voice, turn to Christ, and he will cleanse you. He will set you free. Christ will give you the life back that he did for the same leper. The law says, do this, and it is never done. Grace says, believe in this, and everything is already done. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Christ. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came to seek and to save those who are lost. And I pray this morning that you would help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear that Christ is calling to each of us. Calling to each of us to be cleansed by him. And as he cleanses us, he then enables us, he empowers us to actually start living out the things that he is about to say. So we ask, Heavenly Father, that you would do this work. Do this work that we cannot do. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would give us your righteousness because we don't have any of our own. We are unworthy. We are despairing except for you. And I pray that this morning we would actually, because we grasp all that you have done for us, by faith, we would actually be able to leave here with hope. Hope and encouragement for what you have done. And we ask this in your name, Lord Jesus, to our Father. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org.